Hi, I'm Billy Shore. Welcome back to Add Passion and Stir. It's our weekly conversation about food, passion, and making a difference in the world. And who better to make a difference than Congressman Will Hurd, a San Antonio native who has represented some of the most important issues uh, in Congress. Congressman Hurd came to Congress from being an undercover CIA agent and brings a wealth of knowledge about cybersecurity, about terrorism, and also a passion for domestic issues like childhood hunger and food. We feel so honored to have you here, Congressman. Thanks for being with us. Hey, Billy, it's great. I, I, you know, anything I can do for you, it's such a great organization you're, you're working for and, and it's such an important issue you're working on. So it's great to be with you. Now, I'm feeling a lot of pressure, Congressman, because you've got an Instagram show that you do called, uh, is it uh, Trivia Friday? Friday, Friday Trivia, yeah. Friday man, Trivia. You know? And I had the treat of being on it. And this can't compare. That was so much fun. I don't think I'm going to measure up, but I'm going to try. But um, everybody, if they haven't seen Friday Trivia, they should watch it because you learn a lot and you have a good time. And thank you for having me on. No, look, I'm glad you did. I'm, I'm Hurt on the Hill, H-U-R-D on the Hill on Instagram. And the whole point of that was how do you talk about important issues of the day in, in a fun format? It's, it's real short. And, you know, you, when you throw out some of the stats um, on some of these issues that we deal here in Washington, D.C., people are pretty shocked by that. And oftentimes when you're, you know, putting out press releases and stuff, you, you fail to do that. And that's why, you know, we tried to do, do this one on food security um, a couple of weeks ago, and I'm glad you participated. Well, it was really an important one for us. And, you know, we talk a lot here about food and about hunger and about poverty issues. And everything, of course, as you know better than anybody, has changed in this era of COVID-19. Really wanted to get a sense, just to start, a sense from you of what, how's your district been impacted? What's happening in San Antonio and other parts of your district? What are you seeing in terms of unemployment, poverty, hunger, what people are dealing with? Sure. And, and I think I think the, the issue of food insecurity really became, uh, you know, the, what's the phrase? A picture is worth a thousand words where a number of weeks back you saw this line at a at a, a food bank distribution in San Antonio. It was a it was a Thursday afternoon. There's about 10,000 people in line. And you saw all these cars and and that image, this image that was taken by a, a drone, you know, went, went viral. And if you just look at my hometown of San Antonio, San Antonio is it's about 1.7 million people. If you add all the kind of communities around, let's call it 2 million. Um, and in the food bank in San Antonio used to do about uh, 60,000 um, distributions a week. And right now they're, they're doing over 120,000. So double number of, of folks that are needing food. And then when you, look at, when you look at students that are on free and reduced lunch, in, in a many of the school districts in my community, only about 20% of those kids are actually you know, going to that school district who's done some creative way of making sure they're getting, they're getting meals. And, and that's a that's a that's such a that's such a small number. It's such a it's a fraction of of the people that should be getting that support. And so those are two real big issues that that I'm concerned of. And then, and then you have other random issues like increase in domestic violence. You which means if you're seeing domestic violence, that's also on women and children. 
um, because people at home and then the folks that usually catch that kind of stuff, the schools, you're not going there. And, and so it's this crazy, vicious, vicious cycle. My town of San Antonio has been dealing with this issue since January because when the 91 U.S. citizens were evacuated from Wuhan, China, uh, they came to Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio. Wow. Um, and what about unemployment? How's what's economically what's happening in the district right now? Yeah. So so the, the numbers, I, I don't have the I, I, we track the numbers and and we're seeing a doubling in, in certain communities. Um, the number of folks that have benefited from from the the additional unemployment that we passed up here in Congress um, has increased. Um, that's also one of the things that's driving some of the folks that are going to the food banks because um, some of these folks that that are now unemployed, some that are that are lucky to have um, savings, are dipping into their savings, which actually means they're they're they're. Um, uh, they make too much money, even though they're unemployed, so they're not able to apply for programs like SNAP and such, which means they're going to uh, food banks in order to get food. So you're seeing you're seeing an increase there, and, and of course with tourism being so big in 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 San Antonio, which is the bulk of of my community, and then uh, obviously uh, the you know the broader hospitality industry, restaurants. And such is, is impacted, but Texas has been slowly opening up. We're we're at about fifty percent capacity. You can do in uh, person dining. Many many restaurants have seen that, so you're starting to see uh, some folks going back to work. You know that picture that you uh, that image that you referenced, taken by a drone of the line at the San Antonio food bank. Uh, that probably did more early on to alert people uh, and alert Americans that their fellow Americans were in trouble, not just from the virus, but from the economic impact uh, of anything else that I have have seen. Uh, It's just really, it's been remarkable. You said it went viral and uh, that phrase sometimes is overused. It really did in this case. I had seen references to it uh, everywhere and it really raised awareness that uh, hunger is a real issue in our community. As you know, it, you know, share strength and our no kid hungry campaign. Uh, we've sometimes fought an uphill battle to, uh, help people understand that we actually do have hunger in a lot of our communities. A lot of people have been left behind by the economy, but that picture that changed everything. Look, it absolutely did. And the, the CEO of the San Antonio food bank was telling me about how, you know, he was getting calls all from all over the country about the problem and, and some to say, OK, well, how are you dealing? Because this is something that's likely to hit us. And, you know, look, my, my background is national security. My, my background is, is counterterrorism and cybersecurity. And, and I talk about food security is national security, because imagine if one person or one family that was in that line didn't get access to food. And they lost hope that they would be able to feed their family, right? What would happen? That's how things ultimately descend into chaos. And so making sure that we're giving people hope that they're going to be able to get a square meal, that they're going to be able to feed their family is, is super important. And, and Billy, I think you told this to me when we were doing Friday Trivia. You know, childhood hunger in the United States is solvable. We don't have some of the same structural problems that you see in other parts of the world. And and my first experience with this topic was really when I was overseas. And 
My first time out of the country was my freshman year in, in college, and I went to Mexico City uh, to study. And, you know, being in, you know, the super metropolitan Mexico City, you saw it. But when I decided to go into the CIA and, and was posted to New Delhi, India, for my first tour and living in India for two years, seeing you know, true poverty was just, it, it was, it was mind boggling and, and seeing the little children with the distended stomachs, um, you, you know, getting exposed to that and, and seeing how bad it is. And it's just shocking that in the greatest country in the world, uh, we have, we have a similar problem and the fact that we can, we can do something about it. Um, you know, it, it, again, it starts with, with awareness. So I'm glad that that um, image and, and my town was able to make people realize the importance and start talking about that, things like pandemic EBT and what does that really mean and, and how do all these federal programs um, fit together. And when you were talking about kind of the, you know, the risk, of the, when you think about one family not getting the food they need and how that could kind of devolve into chaos, are you saying that as, as in reference to kind of like the desperation that a family in that position could feel and act on. Absolutely. And, you know, imagine, I would say, imagine if you were in that situation and, and that's something why we should all be helping each other. And, and one of the things that's oftentimes frustrating to me in, in Washington, and, and you know this, Billy, from your, your time and, and working up here, is that oftentimes we have these programs that have support, but because of the in, inefficiencies of how we deliver that support sometimes, um, it takes a long time to get to, to the intended you know, beneficiaries. And when you look at the, the, the free and reduced lunch program and, and how that's available, but when you're not going to school, those kids can get access to it. And, and how do you fix that? And that's the whole point of this pandemic electronics benefit transfer program so that those food stamps or the, what in Texas we call it the Lone Star car where you can go and buy, buy food, um, is is populated with that money from the USDA that goes into the free and reduced reduce lunch program. So it's it's there's a number of programs, but making sure they're efficient and making sure that they're getting to the people that need it quickly is important. Well, um, and I'm glad you raised pandemic EBT. I want to make sure people understand what it is, which was in, in the part of the response to COVID was to make sure that people who uh, were used to their kids getting their meals at school would have the resources on an EBT card, whether it's SNAP or a new card to make up, uh, have the, the dollars so that they could replace those meals. Is that essentially the way pandemic EBT was supposed to work? Absolutely. And, you know, as of a couple of weeks ago, there was really only two or three states that we're actually doing this. And, and it's a requirement for the state to have a plan and the federal government and, and USDA has to bless it in order to make sure uh, this is able to populate. But then once you agree to it, the school districts have to make sure the state entity that um, is responsible for the, the um, uh, SNAP program um, knows which, which, which people to help. Right. Yeah. And so that's a whole nother logistical chain that you that you have to that you have to deal with and making sure the school districts are aware of that. And then if you don't already have your EBT card, then you have to know that you can get one in order to buy food in the, in the grocery stores 
uh, for your kids. And, and ultimately, this is an efficiency issue. Our, our, our food supply system is designed for us to buy food in the grocery store. And, and when, you're, when you're not able to do that, that throws the whole, the whole system out of whack. Well, you know, I've seen comments of yours before, and you've really been prescient on this issue. I wish our, our government had paid attention to some of the things you had said earlier. There was a story on the front page of the New York Times today, uh, and the headline is, Hunger Program Slow Start Leaves Millions of Children Waiting. And then the subheadline is, uh, Childhood Hunger is Soaring, uh, but two months after Congress approved billions to replace school meals, only 15% of the eligible kids are getting it. And it's written by a, a reporter named Jason DePaul, who's a really good, uh, he, he kind of writes the poverty beat for the New York Times. But one of the things he says here is, uh, and this is kind of exactly what you were just referring to, he says the program Pandemic EBT, I'll just read this one paragraph, it said it aims to compensate for the declining reach of school meals by placing their value on electronic cards that families can use in grocery stores. But collecting lunch lists from thousands of school districts and transferring them to often outdated state computers and issuing specialized cards has proved much harder than envisioned. And it's left millions of needy families waiting to buy food. So here's an example of a really good idea, passed with bipartisan support, acted on quickly, but now kind of languishing because the, the, the technical and the capacity issues just weren't there to solve it. You're a guy who understands technology, but uh, not everybody in government does. Look, it's, it's crazy how this is, this, the, the solution to this problem is so simple. We should be able to, with one click, have this information move from the school district to the entity at the state that handles um, these the EBT card, right? Like this is this is not hard. At, at a minimum, hey, somebody should have a, a spreadsheet, right? That you can give and say, hey, call these people and tell them it's what they need. And so this is another problem that we see is that we're not using existing tools to deliver many of these programs. And so, you know, when I when as I talk with folks about What's next when it comes to dealing with COVID-19? Everybody talks about a recovery, right? That's the, the final stage of, of dealing with a pandemic. Recovery is a phrase to me that means you go back to a place that you have already been. For me, I want to be in a better place, right? Like I, I want an advancement. And how do we use federal dollars for our states to be better prepared to use digital tools to extend that federal support that you already have, right? Two examples is one easy one is unemployment. We passed a bill to add more, to, to help people that were unemployed, ensure they had the resources they had to live. But the state unemployment agencies were not equipped to take on the load, right? Some of them didn't even have the ability to have a, someone to call an 800 number, right? And, and then you look at this issue right now about how can we be efficient? We have these dollars to buy food for kids so they don't go hungry, but we don't know which kid, the, the, the person in, in my, in, in case in my state of Texas, who lives in Austin, you know, our capital that deals with this program, doesn't know which kid to give the money to that they have sitting in their account. It's, it, it's so maddening and, 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 and frustrating Right. Um, but this is why we got to keep banging our head against the wall. This is why we got to keep. That's why I'm glad we got organizations like yours, Billy. I'm glad we got people like the food banks. I'm glad we got people like my friend Jose Andres and what he's working on. 
um, in order in order to pull this off. Because as, as you said, these kids they shouldn't be going hungry. We ha- we have the capacity and we have the ability to feed them. It's just some of these 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 um, administrative roadblocks getting in the way. One of the, last question on pandemic EBT. Uh, there's been a lot of talk because it's rolled out slowly and because the economic crisis is going to last a lot longer than the health crisis, that it should be extended beyond the original June 30th date. Good idea? Bad idea? I think it's a good idea. And, and honestly, I think it's, it should be extended until uh, kids start going back to school because this is going to continue to be a problem if if kids that are supposed to be on free and reduced lunch I can't get access. And, and guess what? This is a problem that we have in the summers as well. And, 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 and really kind of my, my first exposure uh, to food banks was based on some of the school districts and, and some of the kids in the, in the school districts I represent um, going hungry over the summer because they only get a square meal when they're at school. And so how do you deal with this in the summer? And so a lot of school districts have been dealing with this um, for a long time. But we know if kids aren't in school, we're going to have this problem. So if kids are not going to be in school, let's make sure these programs that are designed to help them um, continue to exist. I hope that wisdom prevails. Very, very important going forward. Uh, Congressman, you came to Congress in 2014. Uh, those of us who are um, really passionate about the importance of bipartisanship as a way of getting things done, are already beginning to mourn your coming departure after after this year. Um, say a little bit about what's been the, the the key to getting things done in a bipartisan way. What's the secret sauce to bipartisanship, uh, and what obstacles have have frustrated you on on that path? So, Congress is designed to be inefficient. Right. The the inefficiency is is one of the checks and balances in this place because somebody just can't run ram something uh, through the process. Right. But but the key to getting things done is to work on and solve real problems. And if you're solving a real problem, you know, it, it starts with it starts with having feedback from constituents. Right. Like we. I, my, my goal in Congress has been to be a leader in national security and a gold standard when it comes to constituent relations. And so if, a cons- if one of my constituents is having a problem, then guess what? Thousands of people are having a problem. And, the, and, and it's Republicans and Democrats and independents and people that didn't vote that are having that problem. So solve the problem. And so all of my pieces of legislation start with solving a real problem. Then you go find a partner on this. Uh, who uh, on the other side on the other side of the aisle uh, that believes in this and then work it together. And so so that's how, you know, I, I think I'm at 15 or 16 bills signing the law since 2014, which is actually a lot in, in, in six years. Yeah, it's, it more is. Than most, it's more than most members uh, of Congress uh, get signed in the law uh, after uh, multiple decades in Congress. And so it, so that's that's how I do it. And and. You know, uh, I don't do like the messaging bills where people can go and talk about it because I'm of the belief, go fix something, go change it, and then go tell everybody what you did. And, and that's, that's how you be effective. And that's why I've continued to get elected in one of the most competitive uh, districts in the United States of America. And, and the only way, it, it starts with realizing the only way big things have ever been done in Washington, D.C., 
is if you do them together. And, and sometimes some may say that's a little out of fashion right now, um, but, but I'm of the opinion that when I crisscross my district and crisscross the country, people talk to me all the time, way more unites us as, as a country than divides us. Let's focus on those things rather than those issues on the fringe that we may never agree. And so that sounds like the most common sense uh, kind of textbook 101 American civics explanation of the way things should work. Uh, yet a lot of times they don't. Uh, I, I know you're not going to trash your your colleagues, but why, why aren't there more people like you? I don't get it. And I worked so, up so there for a long time. The, the, the answer to that question is actually quite simple. Um, it is it is the structure of our system is the the the, the um, uh, is not designed right uh, for bipartisanship. And let's take an example in this upcoming election in 2020. There may be about 35, 40 seats that are competitive, right? That can go that can flip from one party to the other. If you go back 20 years, that number was north of 75. If you go back 10 years before that, it was like 120, right? And, and so, so I get rewarded for solving problems, right? But my, my, my fight is in November during the general election. But unfortunately, like 85 or 87% of congressional seats, the debate happens in the primary. And that's a fraction, sometimes only 2 to 6% of the entire district will vote in that primary. And, and so that is where the ideological debates happen. And so you're talking to uh, a, a, a particular end of the philosophical spectrum. If you, if you if, like I think the, you want the competition of ideas to be in November, right? And that's how you solve. So, so if we had more competitive seats like that, um, you would see more people get rewarded and you would see people that come up here to solve problems. So how do we fix it? Look, it is. So, so every state has to do this, right? Because this is a, this is, you know, the lines, the, con the congressional lines are drawn uh, state by state. And, and let's be honest, people that are in power, whether you're an R or a D don't want things to change. Um, but more districts need to be closer to 50, 50, right? Or I would say, you know, plus five in either direction. Um, and, and that's where you have competitive seats and you would see things change. One of the things we've found in our work around hunger is that in some ways it's easy to marshal bipartisan support around the needs of children. Children are sympathetic in a lot of ways and nobody's against feeding a hungry child. But, uh, I would argue that in many cases, one of the best things we could do for a hungry child is, uh, find ways to support and strengthen his or her parents or caregivers or family. Mm -hmm. uh, and, it, and it feels like the politics around that and the part of the bipartisanship around that break down. Uh, any advice on how we go about our work in terms of building bipartisan coalitions to really get at the root causes of why kids are hungry in the first place? Well, I, I, I think, I think making that, you know, when you see a kid that's, you know, malnourished or sad, right, that tugs on the heartstrings. And then making sure for members up here and, and folks that make these decisions in state capitals uh, understand that connection between the success of the parents and how that kid um, is going to benefit or the long-term impact that it has 
on that on that child. Um, you know, I, I talk, you know, you talk about kids on one end and we also talk a lot about income inequality on the other end. Uh, you, you have income inequality because you have education inequality. And so how do you improve the ability for a kid at a very young age um, to, to be able to be successful? And that's even simple stuff like the number of books they have in the house, right? And so if a kid's hungry, I bet you they probably don't have many books in the house either. And if by like, I think it's like fourth grade, if you're not on a fourth grade leaving fourth grade reading level by the time you got a fourth grade, the likelihood that you're going to drop out of high school is, is unbelievably increased by multiple factors. And so all of these issues, we should take all these issues into account and realize that a, a hungry child is a symptom of much broader problems within that family unit. And if we address those broader problems in that family unit early on, uh, you're going to see, you're going to see that, that, that child, uh, being successful later on down the road increase in, increase exponentially. I think that's exactly what we need people to understand. Um, how how hard was it for you to decide to walk away from this? You're so good at what you do. Was it uh, how tough a decision was it personally? So so it was it was tough. Um, but but I also you know it, it's it's interesting. Um, I left the CIA. Being an undercover officer in the CIA is the best job on the planet. Right? Like my job was to recruit spies and steal secrets. I was collecting intelligence on threats to our homeland, and I was I was in you know dangerous places, uh, helping to protect the country. It was awesome, right? And <laughs> and and it was a and, and doing it in exotic places. And but but I was frustrated. With, you know, in addition to collecting intelligence, I had to brief members of Congress. And I was pretty shocked by the caliber or some of our elected officials. And my mama said, you're either part of the problem or part of the solution. So I, I left a job I was good at and loved in order to move back to my hometown and run for Congress. Because in essence, I was pissed. And, 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 and I lost that first election. I lost a runoff by 700 votes. which was not a lot of votes. And, um, you know, when I got the opportunity to run again, because it's because I thought I could help in a different way. I'm at this point in my life where I think I can help my country in a different way. I think I can help. You know, when I look at all the things that I've been most proud of during my time in Congress, it's been things around public private partnerships. I'm going to be able to do that when it comes to working on technology and making sure we take advantage of technology before it takes advantage of us. The opportunity to do that in other ways and to continue to talking about that in other ways is increased. And I also believe these jobs aren't designed for you to be in forever. And, and so, so, so for me, it, um, it's, it's, it's um, walking away. You know, my goal is to continue to contribute uh, to the health of, of my community and, and my country. So it's just, I'm just going to be working in a different way. And, and, you know, I remember my time fondly and it's interesting when I, when I talk to the media, the media always wants me to bash this place. And it's like, I'm leaving because there's other opportunities. It's time for other people to come in and try their hand here, but I'm going to keep working on these issues that are important to me. Um, last couple of questions. What, what will you miss the most? Ooh, what would I miss the most? You know what, man, helping people in, in a way that's like changes their life. And yesterday I, I just did a, did a, a, a video chat with all the students that I nominated for the military academies. 
I didn't, when I was running for Congress and even when I won, I didn't know that was one of my responsibilities. And, you know, I, I average about um, 11 or 12 students every year going to the military academies. And my goal, I tell them, like, y'all were selected because I think you're going to be the future leaders of, of our country, right? And doing things like that. Or I remember a, a woman came to call our office. She was in her late 70s. Her husband had passed away two years prior. He was a veteran. And she was supposed to be getting some of the, the benefits of the spouse of a veteran, which she deserved. Somehow the VA messed it up and she wasn't getting the, the, the support. She was about to get kicked out of her home. Somebody said, hey, you should call Will Hurd. She called me. We were able to figure out, you know, how she got the back pay. She stayed in her house. And, and being able to solve problems and battle the bureaucracy for, for someone who needs a battle, you know, that's, those are the things that I'm going to remember and, and, and miss and, and look back at fondly. And um, any advice for your successors? Is this the kind of thing where, like, in the White House, you leave a little note in an envelope in the <laughs> desk drawer? Look, care for everybody, right? I, I was successful because I don't care if you voted for me or didn't vote for me. If you had a problem, I was going to try to solve it, right? Stay connected to the community and, and, and remember that, right? That's, that's the secret um, to success and, and solve a problem because it's the right, it's the right thing to do. And, you know, that's, and that's what we've all, and be intellectually consistent. I I think that's probably one of the more frustrating things up here is that, you know, the, the, the lack of intellectual consistency on a particular topic and, and this is colleagues on, on both sides of the aisle um, uh, do this, uh, but just be consistent and people appreciate that. Well, we're sure going to miss you. Thank you for your leadership. Uh, we've been talking to Congressman Will Hurd from San Antonio, who's been passionate about uh, making sure that kids in this country are fed. And he's also been passionate about protecting our country in terms of building our, our national security. Uh, you've been very kind and generous to join us on uh, Friday Trivia. Uh, go to Hurt on the Hill on Instagram. Uh, you're kind enough to give multiple choice questions. So the questions you <laughs> asked me were easier than the questions I asked you. So thank you for that. But it's a, it's a fun show, and I hope everybody will uh, continue to, to watch you on Hurt on the Hill. And, um, Congressman, I can't thank you enough. I really do admire your, your leadership and what you stand for. I hope that... Um, your next chapter uh, is not just rewarding, but maybe someday leads you back to elected office. Um, <laughs> you're a young guy, so I'm sure that could that could still happen. And um, I guess we'll always wonder when we see somebody on the street that looks like you, if it's you or if it's just you undercover again. So <laughs> if, well, if, I, if, if, I, if I don't look when you say, well, then, that, then don't bother me. <laughs> it's a deal. Uh, yeah, so awesome. thank you. Thank you so much for being on Ad Passion and Stir. I'm Billy Shore. You've been listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks to the team at uh, Share Our Strength and the No Kid Hungry campaign. Thanks to our producer, uh, Paul Whittle at District Productive, my sister, Debbie Shore, Kelly Griffin, and everybody who makes this podcast uh, possible. And uh, once again, uh, make sure that you tune in to Friday Trivia, Heard on the Hill with Congressman Will Hurd, one of our real stellar uh, leaders and a model public servant. Thanks, Congressman. Ad Passion and Stir is distributed by District Productive. Ad Passion and Stir is the creation of Billy Shore, Debbie Shore, and Paul Woody Woodhall.